Hello, right at the top here, just wanted to give a quick warning that in today's production notes we get onto the subject of sexual assault in the Nagisa Oshima movie Death by Hanging. Uh, also, uh, while I'm here, in episode 34 of Ultraman, there was a very abrupt suicide gag, which, while I'm a little late to warn anyone about the gag itself, uh, we do touch on it again in our discussion. Just wanted to give you a quick heads up, and uh, hope you enjoy the show. You are listening to Ultra Q, episode 21. Uh, my name is Red. I'm joined by Mel. Penis life. Penis life. And uh, by Razen. Hello, and back from the monster graveyard. Uh, was there anything interesting there? Uh, this is a weird, like, bone creature. It was very interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, coming up uh, in Ultraman, failed plans botched rocket launches and uh very very ignored orders um uh before we get into that uh i have done well i've, I've done a lot this week i don't want to talk about it anymore. i've the I'll, you know i watched a i watched a bunch of stuff that's like uh i rewatched watched i was like i'm just not gonna talk about it <laughs> i'm good um and uh i've uh been reading uh the first couple of chapters of uh the like the first tanya the evil light novel again not gonna talk about it um i i have been uh uh i have caught uh the bug uh of like (laughs) quickly taking a scan of modern isekai um because you know I, i watched tanya the evil back in the day but uh i never you know, I never read any of that shit. Uh, and turns out those books are like a normal length of novel. <laughs> um, so I was like, oh, okay. I let me let me check out a couple of chapters. Of this. So sometimes a quote unquote light novel is just a novel, but it just gets lumped in the same category because Japanese. <laughs> yeah, I think it might. I don't know if it's like from the same site that like a lot of the modern isekai. Uh, uh, light novel is like like the you ones, know, yeah, like the, the ones the, that snake eating their own tail of influence. <laughs> yeah, like I think I think Tanya the Evil falls within some of that category. I think so. I I, I think it counts. It's certainly like it's got like published under whatever company it is. 
Um, but um, it's, you know, it's just longer than most of them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, in the, it's in the quartet. It's in the quartet. It's apparently gets kicked out of the quartet in the second season and replaced with Shield Hero, which boo. Damn. No. That's, Evil. I, what's is that worse? It might be worse. <laughs> yes, it's, it's it's absolutely worse. I, I'm pretty sure it's worse. <laughs> yeah. like, all the reason I'm asking is like because I'm pretty sure Tony Evil is the fascist, but also slavery. So <laughs> Tanya the Evil, I don't. I. I think the author knows that Tiny is evil. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I that much I assume, but still, I oh, like her inclusion in the East Coast. Yeah, sure, put a villain in there. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, other than that, I've just uh, been playing. One might argue that she just got replaced by a villain, too. <laughs> yeah, she got replaced by uh, a villain who, you know. Or thinks he's a hero. He's not a hero. <laughs> okay, so he we owns... replace uh, we replace Ludendorff with uh, Robert E. Lee. Okay. Yeah, he owns slaves, much like Clive Rossfield at the start of Final Fantasy XVI. <laughs> okay. Uh, who? Uh, I played a little bit more of that. I don't feel like I got much to say yet, but um, uh-huh. I've had my eyebrows raised a few times at some of the things said in that game. Uh huh. <laughs> I I heard uh, I have seen a lot of people say in response to hearing stuff talked about with like the slavery thing in Final Fantasy 16 I've heard a lot of people go oh so Final Fantasy 14 then and I've gone excuse me what <laughs> I this is the game that I, people have very confidently just fr- from the safety of the high high walls behind the high high walls of this is a hundreds of hours <laughs> sunk cost fallacy MMO experience. Um, so I can very safely recommend and say, yeah, the story's great. Uh, knowing that <laughs> only a handful of people are ever going to uh, actually like listen to me and play it. Um, I, it I gotta it's be interesting. Oh, oh yeah, go ahead, Mel. Uh, this is the first time hearing about any of the slavery stuff in any of these games. <laughs> oh, int- okay, int- oh Jesus, do you do y'all want to hear? <laughs> so, um, I I encountered it already early on in my FF14 quest that made me go like, huh. Um, but there there's like a like honestly one of the first dungeons you go to, like the storyline for what's happening is there's like. A giant, like it's like a it's like a giant troll or something that has been enslaved to work the mines, and it it had the audacity to rebel, so you have to put it down, sort of thing. Um, Lovely, and it just it just goes uncommented on in a way that I was kind of like, huh. And I remember I was streaming it, and I was just kind of baffled. Uh, and then uh, one of my frequent viewers and Twitter mutual uh, Ganamax uh, popped in and went, "Oh, you just finished the racist quest." I was like, "Okay, I'm glad I'm not alone because that was really fucking weird." Um, I do know. I don't know the exact full details, but I do know, at the very least, I've seen criticism from people that have gone through fourteen with. Um, I know that there's one quest line about a rebellion in one of the expansions that people had some really thought there were some weird quibbles with, like in terms of 
writing character motivation and just maybe not exactly understanding how something like a rebellion forms and works and what motivates it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, like Destiny. Destiny. Yeah. Uh, we but can't, then we can't also... keep doing this. <laughs> we could be cursed. <laughs> <laughs> we cursed. True. The, in, uh, See the, Destiny. The, the protest signs in FF14. <laughs> oh my god. Um, and then I know, I, I've seen at least a few people that I'm friends with uh, talk about... Um, some reservations with Endwalker, which is, from what I can tell, a lot... It's like a a classic Final Fantasy, like, oh, apocalyptic threat, but also it's about going to the Empire in that game, and it's about imperialism and and kind of exploring it. And I believe I've seen some people that I'm friends with have some reservations with how a lot of that stuff is handled. Um, So there's definitely been an element of that that I've kind of heard murmurs of, but I feel like 16... um, bringing a lot of that stuff to the forefront immediately at the start of the game, even, uh, just brings that all boiling to the surface. Um, combined with the... My takeaway playing what I have of this game, and uh, you can go to my channel, Brand to, to see what I have streamed of it. I, I plan to do, like, a third stream. I just didn't get around to it. Probably won't for a bit. Um, but... My takeaway after I was done streaming was, oh, this is what all those quotes were about with why they didn't want people of color in the game. They immediately <laughs> cowered it out and were like, oh, this is good. No matter which way they implemented, they were like, oh, we're, we're going to be terrified of backlash. Honestly, I still think that this is a horror. I, I think the, the lack of inclusion is still a horrible move. I think they should have done the hard work of incorporating them in a way that felt responsible and, and not like a weird cop-out because they were dealing with fantasy slavery stuff uh it's also falling into that classic x-man like x-men trap of oh the the oppressed class in this metaphor have magic fireball shooting powers which like makes things fucking muddy and weird (laughs) and it's it's a doozy um i guess like the one thing that i saw that made me go like yeah is that there's a point early on in the game where you're talking with uh, this this game's version of Sid, uh, and basically he runs this like safe haven I- area in the middle of this like blighted desert that is just like nobody would look for anyone here. People would be stupid to live here, but like he lives in a bunch of like ancient fallen civilization ruins, and they have like a little bit of agriculture going, and it's their little secret like uh, hideaway for all of the bearers that have escaped enslavement, and the main character. Ask them, what's in this for you? And, like, these are both people that have seen firsthand the horrors of people like them being used as political pawns or being used as slaves and just treated like garbage. It, it just it just felt like a really weird question to ask. And I think part of it is, like, like, I was talking with my friends about this, and one of my friends did say, to be fair, the main character by this point has been betrayed, has had everything taken away from him, and, like... Definitely is probably not wants to trust someone specifically when they're trying to do something for the right reasons. But also at the same time, it just feels very, I want to say tone deaf, where it's just like, why would you create a a safe haven for slaves, you you man that's also been oppressed by the system's magic cast? And it's just like, what are you talking about? I don't know. It's weird. I uh, I'm eager to play more and see what the fuck they do with that. Uh, and if it goes anywhere, because uh, it's, um, I'm not really feeling the that <laughs> element of the story so far, I'm going to be honest. Is this, like, we There was, like, there was an anime that came, that was coming out recently about fairy slavery. Oh, uh, yeah, I remember you talking about that. Which, 
yeah, I watched like the first like two episodes and started watching the third one. And I was like, I I don't know about this, but the, there's like some interesting stuff in there. Like there's some good like like character moments, like because the the girl. Uh, a girl who doesn't like the slavery nonetheless buys a guard fairy slave uh, to get her to uh, um, where you know the place the city, the city that she needs to go to deal with the danger dangerous roads and she wants to she wants to talk to him like uh, he's her friend and he's like uh, getting very aggressive saying like no 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 you should treat me cruelly you should treat me harshly this is not you i'm not your friend you own me um and uh uh but also uh it's a uh, slavery romance it's he's 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 the hot guy and uh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um and also she is just a nice slave owner compared to everyone else <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, you would let your slaves sit with you at the table. <laughs> there like, does seem to be an element of the of the nice slave owner thing going on in 16 from what yeah. I've seen people say too, which is just the, don't the, stop. <laughs> the, uh, the other thing, and I, I, you know, I have to, you'd have to, I'm not, there's like a whole logistical thing with Final Fantasy 16 where it's like, oh yeah, we enslaved all the people that can do magic. Um, and the this fairy slave and i can't remember it's yeah i remember what it's called it's called sugar apple fairy tale i promised someone that i would actually watch it eventually uh instead of just writing it off the way i did um so well you know i'll eventually watch it and uh probably write it off when i finish because i just think slavery's stupid i don't think it works because it's all about oh yeah we enslaved the fairies and fairies are rare and um but uh the you know uh and I was like, I, it's, it's, like, it, it's, it's, it's not about slavery. It's about fairy. It's about fake racism. It's about, oh, we hate the fairies. Um, because it's, you know, in a society that has slavery, the slavery is because the people, they want labor. They want labor. When, and when they run out of fairies to enslave, the, the, you know, why hasn't this society invented an excuse to enslave other people? people i don't like yeah, it doesn't it make has, any sense <laughs> it has like the it got like the it's like someone looked at the history of the u.s and like got the cause and effect backwards <laughs> yes yes <laughs> where it's the, like the, oh the, ra- the racism end... is the web of lies to justify the slavery <laughs> not the other way around um but it's uh yeah it's just you know, I, it's a dumb anime i have to watch it eventually though because i promised um, but uh, there does seem to be a little of that logistical stuff in Final Fantasy sixteen, where it's like, so you, you enslaved all the people that can do magic, I and you know now that slavery exists in the society, you're not in, you haven't enslaved anyone else. You have no one has found an excuse to do that yet. Are you? <laughs> it's uh, I don't know. It seems it seems like uh maybe. Uh, they don't know what he, what slavery is. <laughs> it's it's also something that I have been baffled by, and kind of <clears throat> kind of rubs up against one of the reasons why I was kind of feeling FF eleven a little bit more than FF fourteen. I I don't, and maybe they get into it because I'm still early on. But as of right now, I'm a little baffled that there doesn't seem to be like a larger discussion at all over like 
because uh, the the bearers are the name for the uh, mm-hmm. the uh, like magic using people or whatever. And there doesn't seem to be any talk really of them like having any sort of like insurrection or like any sort of like actual conflict or or anything there. It is just they are the oppressed party. They are enslaved, and there's no talk of any sort of uprising or anything yet. Uh, only, like, oh, sometimes they escape and they try to, like, like sense thing, they try to make, like, a little, like, safe haven, like, away from everyone else sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's just not how, I don't know, that's just not how the world works, you know? Like, yeah, people like are a, going to fight back. Like, a, famously, the Spartans had, like, a standing army because they rule over an entire country of slaves and they didn't want to go on campaigns for long because they're like well we can't stay home too long stay from home too long or else the actual slaves will rise up Uh, yeah and like to be fair these like these nation states do have giant fucking towering kaiju which like are obviously going to be a problem to deal with um but then also even some of them seem to be more on the bearer side than like their like quote-unquote like armies like masters side sort of thing uh has has there been any discussion yet of when the slavery started no i don't okay. believe so I think but I, i'm also only like five hours in on on the one hand that's the maybe the bit that is interesting on the other hand quote unquote interesting scare quotes around that word <laughs> yeah um but it it all just rubs up. So I obviously I want to see where it goes. But if like Mister Clive and Sid are the very first people in the world to be like, hey, maybe this is fucked up and we should do something about this, it it's gonna go back to a criticism I had for fourteen, where in fourteen the main character is like the capital C chosen one in a way that like I really did not jive with, and you know that is a classic JRPG, even Final Fantasy thing, like the whole Warrior of Light motif, like this goes back a ways. But when you, that's one thing when it's like an eight bit RPG or you know like an old school style like classic story that's a little light and feels a little more fairy tale esque. When you're starting to tell these broader stories of like warring nations and and more complex political empires. I, I start to expect a little bit more, and I, I just feel weird about, like, it really feels like they're setting Clive to be up this, to be this, like, savior figure so far in a way that I, I just don't care for. My, my, my thing with everything I've heard about Final Fantasy fourteen and sixteen, and then everything that I've, the gap between it and what I've seen of Final Fantasy fourteen and sixteen, is that I don't think... Either the I either of them seem like actually much more involved than the <laughs> like lighter fairy tale stuff. Like I don't I don't you know it's the good kingdom versus the bad empire etc. And like it's I I don't know. Is it? Just I the, I think uh, the honest uh, answer might be that it's all that stuff. But then they get into uh, what happens when the like, they get more into the details of, oh, what happens when evil empire invades the kingdom and there's, like, a refugee crisis or, like, okay. people are starving. I think that's kind of where okay. the praise comes from. Like, it gets into that stuff in a way I feel like you maybe don't get from a lot of other stuff. But also, like, I do agree that I feel like a lot of the broader things that it could be discussing maybe aren't necessarily what 
people like us would be interested in um in terms of like oh. materialist analysis you know what i mean uh yeah um i mal, mal did i cut you off by the way too i don't know if oh you're... i was just gonna say is it just a case of like uh oh this series is good because it's a deconstruction of the genre etc that kind of mentality I don't even know if it's so much that is. I think it's one I mean, of those things where there's so much world building that like people are like, like "Oh, damn, it's super deep." Like I wouldn't call it like I wouldn't like I'm not saying literally deconstruction, but more like the same like headspace. Where it's like, yeah, oh, it's the darker, yeah. edgier version. It's the one that's like getting into like there's like oh uh, a a king talks to like a duke, and then it's like oh something something intrigue. Oh, this is smart now. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, they went all in on making this game British. (laughs) It's, uh, Sid's voice is just, that's just a dude. That's just a dude that's on TV all the time. It's so weird. I want, I want, I want your opinion, Red. Yes. Uh, which series has the better British dub? Xenoblade Quest or Xenoblade? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I, I, did, I didn't have to fucking wait. <laughs> did you say? Dra- did you say Dragon Quest? Yeah. Oh, because that's all written. Like, oh, that's how much of that is voice acted, though. Uh, I, I, I know Dragon Quest Eleven at least is voice acted. I'm pretty oh, sure. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, they um, re-released. Like, I think the part of the whole re-release was that it had more voice acting, even. Uh, I'm not sure if 8 has voice acting. It's probably like in the era where they could get away with not having voice acting, even though it's a PS2 game. Uh, so it might literally just be 11 exclusively, for all I know. <laughs> uh, in which case... Ooh, that's tough. Um, people... Oh, people were posting Uni from oh, from that... Oh, what's that? Is that her name? Or is it Yuffie? Yuffie's uh, from uh, FF7. Okay uh uni then uh from uh the the girl the girl with the the bird ears uh from xenoblade chronicles 3 uh every clip i've seen of her i'm like this is yeah fantastic also 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 uh xenoblade chronicles 2 has a welsh cat girl uh so like you know this is not this is not a there's no contest (laughs) i will play the xenoblade games one day uh, I will. Uh, I'm hoping to get back to my all the Xeno project at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I need to go through Gears and Saga first. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. I will try to report back on uh, 16 and uh, see how I feel about it. I how's, uh, like. How's enemy stuff? Oh, I like it a lot. Honestly, <laughs> combat still feeling really happy with that, which is which is good. Um... It's, uh, I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping the story starts to win me over. I feel like I'm in a weird spot where, like, I played the worst part of 14 that everyone agrees they hate, and then also, I feel like in general, I've seen a lot of people have a rocky reception to specifically the beginning of 16, um, but I've also seen people say that, oh, once the game opens up more, they started to also like it more, um... But, like, right now, I'm just kind of in, like, oh, I feel like I'm seeing the worst elements of this dude's style. <laughs> like, all kind of just from my experience with his work. And I feel like almost maybe it's, you know, 
I'm not developing the the comprehensive view that other people have of his stuff, and maybe I'll feel different about it later on as I get more into it. But uh, also, we'll see. <laughs> also, and I don't I don't want to I don't want to run long on this one thing. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, those are some destiny menus, man. <laughs> those are some fucking. Oh menus. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's grim. You said Destiny, and I thought of the wrong one again. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, I can only hope the final boss music of 16 is on the level of Durandal's speech OST. <laughs> we, we we, I'm, I'm... This is a curse. This is a curse. <laughs> this is a curse. How uh, many more weeks can it happen? Bearer of the curse. Uh... I, just as a side, uh, I'm in like a friend group with like some people who are like really into both action and RPG combat, and like some one of them was commenting that uh, the kaiju battles in 16 feel better than in Bayonetta 3, and so they joked, "Oh man, I can't believe you know uh, it took the the Kingdom Hearts team to show <laughs> the platinum how to do <laughs> <make the> combat." Ah. <laughs> uh. I, I still have not played Bayo 3, and I don't know if I will, judging from what I've seen and heard about it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, 16 was really all I had for my week, and even then I, like, again, I feel like I've barely poked at it enough to have, like, a a overbearing, like, through-line thought, which is funny considering how long Tell, tell us about. your ill-formed takes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think I'll the, have more concretely formed takes next yeah, week. Probably. I think the main the main reason I'm, like want to play sixteen is like oh it's like DMC combat with maybe some RPG stuff that I've heard that it's like more of an action game than an RPG somehow, uh, but also with maybe some infl- influences of the job system, which sounds neat. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead. Oh, I, one of the takeaways I told a friend, which is, like, very funny, but, like, I feel like 15 was Final Fantasy giving way to modern game design trends derogatory, whereas Final Fantasy 16 is giving way to modern <laughs> modern game design trends uh, complimentary, just because, like, oh, they, they made one that's more in my wheelhouse this time. <laughs> but it's, it's many of what I didn't like about, like, 15, where it's just like, oh, this feels like it, it's just caving into a lot of what was really popular in the AAA space at this time. Equally true of 16, it's just aping from stuff I like more than what 15 was. Uh, which is very funny. Uh, I'm gonna say a very funny fact right now. I bought it. I'm playing it. I'm playing Final Fantasy 16. Because Damn. I realized... One, the FOMO was, got to ya. It wasn't just the FOMO. It wasn't just the FOMO. It was a more powerful force than the FOMO. I was like, it's rude... Uh, to so many people that I'm not playing it, but I do have a PS5. It's rude to me, because I don't have a PS5. Yeah. yeah. What I is was... this like PlayStation 5 having like guilt? <laughs> <laughs> it was... It was, it, it, was, it, was like, it was like, I was like, I do want to play it. Um, but like, you know, do I want to play it now? Do I want to play it later? Do I even want to play it on PS5? And then I was like, I, it's really, it's really funny that I know people are like, yeah, you know, I would like to play it, but I don't have a PS5. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm just going to wait until it comes out on PC. (laughs) (laughs) Owning the libs by buying a PS5 at launch and not buying the Demon's Souls remake. (laughs) 
Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> That's too. Fu- I'm. I'm not. I'm not playing. I'm never playing that game. That game is <laughs> ugly as sin. <laughs> it's pretty ugly. Um, uh, what's uh, worse, Demon Souls remake or Shadow of the Colossus remake? Uh, Demon Souls remake. Okay. Uh, because uh, Shadow of the Colossus is uh. Hmm. Okay, hang on. No, maybe... No, I'm, I'm gonna say Demon Souls Remake, because, like, uh... I don't have any reason. I just feel it in my heart. Alright. 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 <laughs> that was Final Fantasy sixteen. <laughs> For a moment there, for a moment there, I was like, "Did my call cut? What's happened?" Uh, <laughs> we just, we just were. I think we were both waiting for something to have to be all right. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't uh, want to cut you off. Uh, that was Final Fantasy sixteen. Um, uh, anything else, Rosin? Uh no, just sixteen. All right, Mel, what you been up to? Uh so I didn't have much this week until a couple hours ago when I finished. Oh, you finished. Finished Birdie Wing. Um, I did. Uh, without telling me any spoilers, yeah. because I yeah, failed yeah. entirely to watch yeah. a single uh, episode of season two. Maybe, How maybe what I'll do, and I think we should do this for G Witch too, is maybe just wait to talk about it until you've also seen it. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, I'll just say briefly that you know, overall, I liked it. I think there was a part maybe in the middle of this season where I was losing a bit of the draw they had before, but the ending did get it for me uh nice still ridiculous stupid show complimentary uh yeah golf penis life evil in real life but in anime pretty good when it's all about shooting your opponents through the chest with golf um that's what it's all about uh when it when you make your sports anime a gundam au uh, anything is possible <laughs> yeah Exactly. Uh, I I do just headcanon now that this is taking place in the same universe as Build Fighters. Uh, and, okay. and everyone treats their hoppies this way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that uh, girl who I... is like obsessed with Gumpla, you just know that she's like a Sayori fan. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know enough about Build. <laughs> I will uh, just say yes. Uh, I really like season one of Build Fighters. Um. Oh, <laughs> there's an implication there. <laughs> uh, don't worry. Uh, GGP will get to it in time. Uh, I will get to it in time. I'll probably get to it before then. Um, Same. I, I I still haven't watched any of the Build stuff. Really, I've seen Build Fighters. Uh, Build Fighters try and then re rise. Uh, and then. I will rewatch them with GGP and then see Divers for the first time with GGP because I'm not going to bother. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, Birdie Wing will. Uh, I will watch golf, it. I do golf, promise. Golf pun about kicking the can down the road. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, what? <laughs> some, something about uh, 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 something about a bogey, I guess. That's a golf thing about yeah, not yeah. not doing we'll, uh, it in par. Yeah, we'll, we'll bogey this discussion until later. 
yeah, there we go. <laughs> oh, and you said kicking the can down the road. I thought you meant in like the broader political landscape sense of like, what the fuck do they get into in Birdie Way? <laughs> Does that's that can be meant in a broader political landscape kind of sense? <laughs> I just meant like the figure of speech. Well, I, I I thought we meant like the kicking the can down the road in terms of uh, political action. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah. like Sharaznable. Yes. <laughs> Sharaznable well, would never kick the can down the road. People's response to <laughs> <But> Sharaznable. Yes. <laughs> uh, no. I, I say I say Shar would never kick the can down the road. Uh, he has a lib. He has a lib face. Yeah, yeah that's what Zeta's about. <laughs> yeah. And then he just leaves for a while. He's in hiding, waiting to pull a one-year war classic on Haman when she wins. Because surely she's going to win. He was cooking. Uh, he was unfortunately, cooking. no, she did not win. She did uh, cats herself intentionally. Uh, yeah. Um, Alright. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh... The other thing I did, uh, I built a PC. Oh, oh, Ooh. sick! Yes, yes, yeah. yes. You've been busy. Oh yeah, you were posting your fun times with the uh, emulation and the tape. Yeah, yeah. So record I record ripping and yeah, so all it that took, fun took, stuff. It took like it took like a year because like I was getting parts spread out over a while, and then I had installed on a part with a motherboard that I installed the CPU fan. Uh, but now I have a good PC. I can be gaming on stuff. Uh, I don't need, like, I don't need a console necessarily. Like, this is definitely, for our time to say, it's pretty good hardware. Uh, I can say it is at least on the level of the Switch and PS3. Do not ask how I'd know this. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, No way. (laughs) um, uh, But yeah, also, I did use the opportunity to, you know, I got some, imported some Ultramedia without RAWs, uh, and now I made RAWs for them, and you can see that on my Twitter, (laughs) uh, where I've feasted that. Uh, You're welcome. Yeah, Um, Mel has performed a valuable service. uh, True. The next plan is to, I guess, eventually get subs for those things, so we can actually talk about them on the podcast in two, three, five years. Uh... But that's expensive. I need money. <laughs> Mel saw the spreadsheet she made and was like, "There's too much red on this motherfucker. I yeah. need to be the change I want to see I, in the I, world." I, that's why I'm doing me. No, was just enough money involved in this podcast. God damn! I guess I'll quit. Wow. Oh no! The summaries. <laughs> the editing. The editing. <laughs> Hold on, let's look on Twitter for a tokusatsu fan named Blue. Yeah. Surely there's one. Oh man, I can't can't wait for Red vs. Blue Uh, (laughs) season. What season are they up to in Red vs. Blue? Is it still going on? Uh, I think they Uh, stopped in, yeah, yeah, they stopped in 2020. Uh, Season 19 of Red vs. Blue. I can't believe COVID killed Red vs. Blue, what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, I think there's some other stuff that killed Red vs. Blue. <laughs> uh, namely, Rooster Teeth is, uh, is on fire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, I yeah. have seen too, mu- too many of these 18 seasons of Red vs. Blue. 
Oh shit. Uh, but yeah, uh, interesting experience learning how to digitize VHS tapes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I almost feel like I need to get more VHS tapes to do this too to justify everything I've been that sounds like it's also going to cost money, though. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a few things. There's a few more also stuff I want to get stuff mm-hmm. for, uh, which costs money. Uh, and then uh, commission fan subs also cost money. Mel, I feel like you've you've stumbled onto the same uh, the same rabbit hole I fell down, where like there is a period there were way too many of my paychecks were going to importing. Uh, Japanese tabletop role playing games yeah. from from like Yahoo yeah. <laughs> auction sites and stuff like that. I mean, I'm not going to do anything for now because like uh, it's too much to justify the expense. Like I am looking into getting uh, Birth of a uh, no no uh, Father of All Q subbed because like someone I know is like it does Toku subs uh, for a while. Uh, but. Uh, at some point, I'd feel like if I do it more, I'd like be like, well, I need like some sort of monetary input <laughs> to make this sustainable. Uh, so if we have any sponsors out there looking to fund Big Ultra. Uh, I don't know. I could do a coffee or something, but that feels weird and egotistical. Uh, but we don't have a Patreon, so, you know. Uh, we'll get figured out at some point. Mel, does your middle name begin with a K? No. Okay, well, you can't be MK Ultra. <laughs> American Prometheus. <laughs> phone's going off. <laughs> his, his tiny phone. His tiny ass phone that he used to call Garamon. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, like, the, uh, you have already performed an essential service, um, anything more is just uh, uh, you being a hero. I mean, I am also extending the length of this podcast if I get this stuff so. Oh, maybe you're a villain. I <laughs> <laughs> Okay, excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> Mel starts to invent new ultra media somehow to put onto the list. Ah, uh, yes. Mel's arc is a Tsuburaya employee. <laughs> Uh, I feel like that'd be conflict of interest at that point. Yeah, uh, that'd be that'd get dicey. <laughs> I don't have morals. Oh god, are we? Oh, I just this is wait. This has already happened. They had a little fucking Game of Thrones show that aired after every episode, where they just talked about the episode for like an hour, didn't they? Yeah, like we're in we're in the era era of like creator run, mm-hmm. like. Reaction content podcast. Are we, huh? are we, are we, are we <laughs> going to go the route of Crunchyroll where we eventually become the official Ultraman podcast? <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to pull up the ladder behind us. Um, we're going to uh, make sure we crack down on anyone else. Um, <laughs> Doing that... Ultraman podcasts. Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm. Uh, you know, I'm gonna listen to every single one, and if anyone sounds like they didn't uh, watch a Blu-ray, uh, I'm coming for them. <laughs> uh... Because I never did that, officer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Red paying super close attention to what they call each episode. (laughs) Exactly. I know. (laughs) Uh, Actually, 
actually for real though if you like have any input on like raws or subs of stuff that still needs it you can like email i mean like input in like the text form not like money don't G- gmail all coupon money but like you know <laughs> if, if you, just you can like, send me money I, uh, <laughs> please don't. i mean but yeah not send me money uh just you know i want to see a also just send emails in general i actually know where i was going with the, what kind of emails people would send but you know i just feel like you know, i yeah, want people we got to like finale. say things about the things that i'm doing <laughs> we got the finale coming up as well um uh, so yeah. next week yeah. if you if you that would was like perfect time to send us your thoughts if you would like to email us about how you found ultraman uh, whether you preferred ultra q or, or ultra or ultraman whether you uh are you know with, with whether you think ultraman did anything wrong if you could if you could attempt to justify ultraman's crimes to us <laughs> uh we will stand as judge jury and executioner um Maybe yeah. if maybe if this pe- enough people actually email in one day we can actually like share the kaiju sorter and not just have it between us. Uh yeah. Uh we could do that. Um, that requires now, people to actually send emails though. But for now. Uh for now. Uh Are we do you reckon we can talk about Ultraman now? I think so. I believe so. It sounds like we can talk about Ultraman. Less than an hour, I'm desper- baby. <laughs> I'm desperate to talk about this episode of Ultraman. It's my new favorite episode of Ultraman. Um, episode, 30, <laughs> episode 34, Present from the Sky. Um, the narrator informs us many things fall to Earth, uh, like presents from the sky, over shots of the squad watching snow, uh, getting stuck in rain, and airdropping Muramatsu his umbrella. Uh, also, watching a man jump off a roof. Um, then yeah, this this one this one this is the one part of the episode. I'll just say this right now. Uh, this is the one part of the episode that felt really weird to me, just because it's so totally distant from every yes. part of the episode. <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> also happens for only like fifteen seconds. Yes. I, I like got to this batch of episodes before y'all did. I think, and I just like posted the group chat like. You know, Y'all, this yes. first one's going places. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 as soon as I saw this, I was like, oh, that's what he was talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. so out of nowhere. Uh, I was not expecting a man jumping to his death from a building joke in <laughs> fucking Ultraman. Do, do, yeah, it just uh, fucking happened. Content warnings on this episode, by the way, just for this one second. Um, I, I guess we could. Uh, yeah, just to like, be safe. Uh, yeah, it doesn't I mean, matter. it. it is a very... Uh, it's uh, a very like out of left field just joke about suicide uh, so yeah um, then a meteor hits Tokyo and the squad scramble out of bed in their pajamas except for Muramatsu and Hayata and even Muramatsu has managed to put his uniform on backwards uh, the squad heads to the site where the meteor landed and find a kaiju in the crater they flee to the VTOL and attack the kaiju they name Skydon uh, Skydon is exceptionally heavy and resistant to attack. Uh, he takes the brunt of the VTOL assault like no problem and falls asleep. Uh, the squad wonder what can be done. And Muramatsu suggests sending Skydon back to space, but how the hell are they going to do that? Hayata suggests Operation Wirelock. Um, with three VTOLs uh, attaching cables to Skydon, um, they attempt to airlift it away. 
Uh, it seems to work initially, but Skydon is just too heavy, and Hayata's VTOL crash lands. Hayata hits the button and transforms into Ultraman approximately nine minutes into the episode, and I raise an eyebrow. Uh, Ultraman completely fails to do anything to Skydon and flies away. Uh, Hayata comes staggering back to the squad and says, Damn, that VTOL crash got me fucked up. <laughs> Uh, Skydon falls back to sleep. Skydon's like, uh, bro, back off. I am snoozing. <laughs> um, what now? Ide suggests Operation Autogyro. Uh, they attach a giant fucking, like, this is, helicopter this is when hat. I, this is when I realized the episode was going to be really funny, because I just started to burst out laughing when they basically get the kaiju <laughs> giant propeller hat. It's so amazing. <laughs> they attach it to the back of Skydon, turn the propeller on, and Skydon just floats away. And the squad <laughs> returns to base and celebrates with a drink. And as they say, Kampai, there's a huge crash. And Muramasu's is like, ah, oh, fuck, the gyro cut out <laughs> before Skydon got to space. And sure enough, Skydon has fallen back to Earth. What now? Fuji suggests Operation Rocket Bomb. Uh, the squad shoots a rocket into Skydon's ass with the aim of <laughs> propelling it into space, but Skydon uh, is simply they too heavy. throw back to, like, the Pearl monster, too. Yes. So, which, uh, yeah. which, so, which will be relevant again later. <laughs> so two of these plans have been throwbacks. Uh, the wire one, which was, like, Gor- was it Gam- Gamora? Um, Gamora. Uh, and um, then this one, the, the Pearl monster. Um... Unfortunately, Skydon is simply too heavy and is mostly driven forwards toward the gang where they are hiding. The squad. Sorry, I called them the gang. That's, oof, misnomer. Uh, And they run away in a panic, falling over themselves, telling Arashi to hold the line while they run, and Arashi almost being trigger happy enough to obey that order. Uh, Eventually, Skydon settles down and goes back to sleep with the help of some anesthetic bombs. Well, any more ideas? Yes. One last idea, a perfect plan, Operation Monster Ballooning. Um, With tankers full of hydrogen, not helium, (laughs) specifically hydrogen, um, Arashi lines up a shot with a hose attached and Muramatsu says, aim for the anus. And so, yeah, Arashi shoots a pipe up Skydon's ass and they start pumping hydrogen into it until Skydon inflates like a balloon and floats away. Uh... Let's pause for a second and consider that sentence. <laughs> and now I continue. The squad celebrate with a fucking freeze frame. And the narrator says, close but no cigar. <laughs> and reveals that nobody <laughs> told the SDF about this plan. And one of their pilots just shot down a weird monster balloon. And it's falling back to Earth. Fuji relates this news to the squad, who are too busy eating a celebration meal to care. All except for Hayata, who, mouthful of food, yells, Oh no! And runs to the roof. <laughs> He attempts to transform, pose and all, and realizes he's holding a spoon and throws it away. Uh, I, out... I laughed way too hard at <laughs> it's this. It's such a good joke. <laughs> it's really good. Like something about the fact that this is like this one episode thirty three yes. of thirty nine two makes this so much better. <laughs> it's so good. Um, he pulls out. Then he pulls out the beta capsule for real. Transforms. He flies up into the sky and collides with the falling Skydon exploding it into tiny pieces just like the pearl monster once again um at a springtime outing 
Fuji does the whole tea ceremony thing for the squad, who are all in their fucking uniforms while she's in, like, a yukata, which is uh, hilarious. Um, And Fuji's like, ah, cherry blossom, a present from the sky. Then a bird shits on Ide, and he's like, I wish everything that fell from the sky was as nice as cherry blossom. Uh, The end, uh, best episode of Ultraman. Uh, Razan, tell us this episode was directed by Jisoji. Yeah, it was. (laughs) God. God damn. Bro. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's a. Uh, this is uh, a really good episode. It was, I, a, it was I, a really good episode. I really. I was like laughing uh, at basically everything. Yeah, it's um, just incredible energy at all times. There's like multiple uh, just incredible uh, gags of like just the, the crew just. Gags just based on how the way that the squad are arranged being funny, uh, which were just really well done. Yeah. Just like them, like h- coming out from hiding behind a bunch of like uh, pillars or something, and then the meal at the end, just all four of them face on, or Hyatt is just on the end and just like screams, oh, no! <laughs> his mouth runs off, <laughs> and Hide just uh, trying to drag Muramatsu down while he's yelling Hyatt, just spraying beer everywhere. Yeah. Uh... So I've seen the spoon gag before in the past, just because it's kind of a famous gag. Okay. Um, but it being immediately followed with uh, Ayata transforms and starts flying, and then I see the cut shots cutting between the the kaiju and Ultraman, and I'm like, oh, they're going to do the thing again. Um, they're doing and it again. And they do, and it was still as funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I'm glad uh, that we got that gag in a good episode. <laughs> It's pretty good. Um, not just in the not just in the Pearl one, which is a bit rubbish. Yeah, I honestly, when we started the show, I kind of thought that there'd be more episodes that were kind of more in the style, and then mm-hmm. there there really weren't that like honestly any. And then uh, when we we finally do get one that is like this is leaning hardcore into that like childhood whimsy and comedy that like even like the Kanegan episode kind of did the, the yeah. turtle and like it's it's just as good here as it as it was in those like this is this is just a fun episode i i also this is one of my favorites too yeah it's uh it's a banger um the uh i was a big fan of like Hayata like transforming out of Ultraman, just like coming back, like puffing and panting, like, oh man, that crash <laughs> took it out of me. <laughs> it was great. Um, yeah, that's sick episode. The freeze uh, frame with the narrator going wait, the episode isn't done yet actually got me. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Uh, it's like the fact that they've they'd already done it like once before it was like oh so now for real now we got a real freeze frame oh no we don't (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i don't uh really have much else to say about them them jumping up in the air freeze frame is pretty funny (laughs) just the freeze frame yeah that's uh, a classic also i feel like this episode definitely inspired that one pat labor episode Oh, what's the one Pat Labor episode where they're running through the plans? Yeah. Oh, the Godzilla one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense a lot, actually. Right. That is absolutely correct. That is 100% true. Oh, fuck. I want to rewatch that now just to... Which episode is... Which it's one is that again? It's the third one. Three? Okay, I was going to say four. Yeah, it's three. 
uh, that uh, is early bad. days yeah. just for the audience, uh, not the TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, um, God, I had not that had not occurred to me, but that is definitely true. I can feel it. Yeah. Uh, do we want to talk about the writer for uh, this episode, who also wrote all of the other Josoji episodes? And I feel remiss not oh, having talked about him yes. yet. <laughs> yeah. This is our guy. Well, except for the Pearls, but this is our guy. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, wait, let me just double check. Did he write the Pearls one? I'm sure the answer is yes, but I just want to make sure before I uh, give him shit. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, he wrote that one too, sadly. But uh, the Connell um, be, be, be wins. No. So, this was uh, written by uh, Mamoru uh, Sasaki, um, who, again, he wrote all of the episodes directed by Jisoji. Uh, He would also frequently collaborate with Jisoji on other Tsuburaya production shows. I believe, and uh, this was a machine translation, so I don't know exactly what the, like, English translation that's commonly used, but there's, like, a Tsuburaya show called, like, Silver Mask, Iron Mask, something like that. Mel, you may know about this more than I do. Uh, um, not off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, I can look into it. Okay, yeah, and can... then I think there was one called, like, Mystery Operation was the rough translation I saw. Um, but they're they're probably best known for their collaboration on the Ultra stuff. Like, a lot of the directors we've been talking about, it seems like the Ultra stuff it tends to be what people get remembered for. Um... So he began uh, his uh, experience, you know, writing and stuff. Uh, as a university student, uh, his education primarily centered on children's literature and research around children's literature. Um, he was always heavily involved with politics, even at a young age. Uh, in 1955, he was in his second year at university uh, when he started to play an influential role in the Sunagawa struggle. Um, This was a protest movement opposing the expansion of the U.S. Air Force's Tachikawa Air Base into the nearby village of Sunagawa. Um, This originally began as just a residential movement, but then it quickly gained support from anti-imperialist groups across Japan, including a variety of labor unions and left-wing student activists. Uh, the protest movement was a significant turning point in post-war Japan, uh, po- sorry, post-war Japan-America relations, and effectively communicated to both the Japanese and American leadership that there was a growing resentment towards American military bases in Japan. Um, this resulted in a significant drawdown in U.S. military personnel stationed in Japan, uh, and then also the, the Sunagawa struggle is said to have been an important factor in getting the U.S.-Japan Security treaty, uh, treaty renegotiated in terms that were more favorable for Japan, but still would prove problematic uh, and controversial. So you may not have heard about the Sunagawa struggle, but you may be more likely to have heard of the ensuing 1960 and 1970 Anpo protests, which I believe sometimes are also called the Security Treaty protests. Um, and those are notable specifically, I guess, in our circles, because a lot of people who would go on to write for, like, Japanese film, TV, Mm -hmm. anime, etc., were involved as students in these protests. Um, but, uh, the the story there was that they were unsuccessful in stopping the treaty, uh, despite some, like, short-term wins, uh, and this resulted in some classic leftist infighting uh, among the student groups over who was to blame for everyone not necessarily meeting their goals of stopping the treaty. 
this then would leave a vacuum in the political landscape for more radical leftist groups to take center stage in the late 60s and early 70s, and these groups would collectively be known as the Japanese New Left, which also you may have mm-hmm. seen just looking into Japanese like filmmaking and artists at the time, because it was a very influential movement, uh, as leftist political movements often are to, you know, art. <laughs> so, um... Actually, getting more into this, uh, during his fourth year at university, Sasaki uh, met Nagisa Oshima, a left-wing director, screenwriter, and documentarian. Oshima would later go on to introduce Sasaki to uh, Akio Jisoji, <laughs> who, you know, we all know and love. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go on a brief tangent here to discuss the work of Nagisa Oshima, just because I feel like his presence here and the fact that he introduced these two to each other may inform a little bit of the style that was going on at the time and and maybe how these two like the kind of the culture that these two came out of mm-hmm. um cuz Oshima was himself a very influential voice in the in the Japanese new left movement and also just the art scene at that time uh Oshima was a student of political history he wasn't really from an art background um but he then went on to make films, and much of his early work centered on his disillusionment with the traditional Japanese left and his frustrations with the Japanese right. Uh, one of his earliest works was the 1960 film uh, Night and Fog in Japan, which focused on the interpersonal struggle of uh, those involved with the 1960 Anpo Treaty struggle. Um, however, shortly after it was released, the film's production company, uh, Shochiku, withdrew circulation of the film. Uh, specifically because uh, of the assassination of the Japanese so- uh, Socialist Party leader, uh, uh, yes. I- yeah, <laughs> uh, Inejiro uh, Asanuma, uh, by a right-wing ultranationalist. Uh, basically, the too long didn't read there, which uh, Shochiku uh, was afraid that the film would fan flames that were already burning pretty bright and hot, and they didn't want to be held accountable for any further unrest. Like, they didn't want people pointing at the movie and being like, why the fuck would you release this right now? You're making everyone more mad. Mm -hmm. Um, Understandably, Oshima was not in favor of this and said, fuck this, I'm leaving the studio. Uh, Completely understandable. Um, He began his own independent film production company. And this is where we cut back to uh, Mamoru uh, Sasaki. After graduating, uh, he struggled to find work. Take a shot. I feel like we've heard, th- we've heard this a uh-huh. lot with Ultra Series people. <laughs> um, it's tough out there, folks. And it was back then, too, apparently. Um, he ended up moving to Okinawa and then working for a children's puppet show. Um, oh, damn. Yeah, which I'm I'm curious what the story is there, because off the top of my head... That does not sound like a lucrative enough thing that would be something you would go move to Okinawa. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm I mean, just you know, like, un- unless you're Urobuchi, but yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe this was the precursor to what Thunderbolt <laughs> Fantasy would become. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think it's close enough to Taiwan. <laughs> um, this would eventually result in uh, him finding his way though to writing scripts for children's radio shows, and then he would continue working his way up later on working for Shochiku as a writer for TV dramas. Uh, but then he himself would later leave the company to write for uh, Oshima, his former, um, you know, they were former students together, so they had a connection there. Uh, he wanted to work for his new independent film studio after Oshima had left. Um, so as much as we see Sasuke as the, um, like, 
collaborator with um, Jisoji. He also was known for writing a lot of Oshima's directed works. Uh, and Oshima's films are notable for many reasons, but they're probably best remembered for two things in particular. The first is their deep exploration of bigotry and xenophobia, uh, and then the second is for exploring sexual themes that were seen as radical and taboo at the time. Immediately, this is making me go, oh, like, Jisoji and this guy probably, <laughs> there was a reason they were friends. <laughs> They were interested uh, in the same shit. Uh, super, yeah. super uh, being like, I am a good Catholic, but these horny guys make some good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how did the like I I do not know how they got roped into the mix because they are outliers, like very much so. Um, uh, this would later result in legal issues for Oshima, um, including the release of the 1976 film In the Realm of the Senses which had to be edited in France due to its depiction of unstimulated, uh, or sorry, uns- uh, unsimulated, <laughs> not unstimulated, um, and uncensored sexual intercourse. Um, an uncensored quite the opposite of- from unstimulated. <laughs> quite the opposite. Uh, there, rather famously, there is still not an uncensored version of this film that can still be bought in Japan. It's still banned. Uh, mm-hmm. The only way to see an uncensored version is, is outside of the country. Um... Oshima was also notable for being a noteworthy example of an early Japanese critic of Akira Kurosawa's movies. Um, He saw them as pandering to Western values and politics. Um, However, the feeling was not mutual, as Kurosawa has stated that one of his favorite personal movies was the Oshima-directed film Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, which is about the experience of a prisoner of war in World War II Japan, based on a true account. I didn't know that that was this guy. I yeah. know about this movie. Yeah, uh, and it stars David Bowie. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> David Bowie. This is this this movie. I have heard is a uh, uh, prisoner. I've heard this movie is homoerotic. <laughs> so I'm. Uh, that that's interesting. So the there's there's some stuff with that. I I didn't include it here just because like it's. It was like I want to say like the late '90s or 2000s. I'm just like for for our purposes, it's not important. But like the last thing he made was about a group of elite samurai attempting to defend the shogunate. Uh, but everyone's attracted to the main character, and he's dealing with a bunch of homo erotic tension. Okay. Um, and it it seems very interesting. Uh, so he's definitely playing around in in that space with his work. Uh, and then also, too, I had seen, before this David Bowie movie, he made another, I want to say it was another movie about African-American prisoners of war in Japan that oh. also dealt with a lot of, like, xenophobia and, like, bigotry stuff. Damn, um, okay. So, like, this is just something he is, he's very, like, on the pulse for. Like, th- he, this interests him a lot. Um, but also, too, yeah, as, as my summary continues... Uh, In fact, many of Oshima's works concerning bigotry were based on true stories or were deeply rooted in in true events or or struggles that were ongoing in the time in Japan. Um, Specifically, one film that was written by Mamoru Sasaki was 1968's Death by Hanging, um, which is apparently one of his more notable films, uh, and it explores uh, a Korean man who is sentenced to an execution by hanging for his many crimes, one of which includes the rape of a young woman. However, the execution fails mid-hanging, and the prisoner survives but loses his memories. 
Uh, and then one of the Japanese officials overseeing the execution declares that because of how the law is worded, uh, the execution cannot be carried out anymore because the prisoner does not have a full understanding of the crime that he committed nor his punishment. So the rest of the movie is kind of like a dark comedy of them attempting to help the prisoner regain his memories by like so reliving. They can execute him. <laughs> yes, and okay. it's, it's like making him relive or attempt to like re enact his crimes but then in the process it just reveals their own guilt about being involved with capital punishment and also their complacency and the discrimination against koreans living in japan at the time um and that was apparently based on a i don't want to speak too much about this because there isn't almost anything written about it in english that i could really find and the Japanese stuff is obviously all machine translated, and it seems like a very messy case that I just personally do not feel would be ethically responsible for me to talk about. But it was based off of a real execution of a Korean uh, living in Japan who was accused of raping and killing a uh, 16-year-old. Okay. Um, and and the there is a lot of discourse even still to this day regarding whether or not that crime was perpetuated uh, perpetuated by him. And I if see. it was more just finding a Korean man to blame it on at the I time see. and a lot of that stuff. Um, Brechtian techniques. Oh, this is a fucking... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I did yeah. a little bit of drama. I know what that means. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Oshima would then later on uh, introduce Sasaki to uh, Akio Jisoji and was like, hey, you two would get along. Uh, and then the two of them would become frequent collaborators on a variety of Subaraya productions, as we discussed. So, um, yeah, just very interesting to me how this, like, little subsect of, like, influential new left creators that are, like, really horny mm -hmm. got involved with the Subaraya stuff. I, I'm so curious what their in was, really, you know what I mean? Yeah. This was these... Damn. They just, they just kept those two guys in a corner. They were just like, yeah. don't go over there. <laughs> Let them do their thing. Just being like, uh, assembling the heroes of the age. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking... Okay. Oh, and, you know, and then, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, I also, I can... I believe this is... I can confirm this... Uh, here, let me just double check. But I believe the 1990 Ultra Q movie is also directed by Jisoji and then written by uh, Mamoru Sasuke. <laughs> Sasuke. Cool. So, Fantastic. Nice. Uh, I'm looking forward to that whenever we get to it. Uh, yeah. What an interesting pair. <laughs> uh, probably three or four years from now. Probably three, yeah. Yeah. God damn. <laughs> oh, years are long. Yeah. Um... Oh, well, uh, thank you. Uh, that was very informative. Um, I, yeah, I should, I have, I have been meaning to watch Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence for a very long time. Uh, Honestly, my takeaway is I want to watch some of this dude's movies. They seem very interesting. I don't know yeah. if they're available, like, I don't know a lot of his stuff's availability with, like, English subs, but. Yeah, um. I know, like, uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence will be very available because you know, yeah. my mum my mum has watched that movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, like that's just uh, that's just a movie that is you, you can watch that. Um, 
but uh yeah Sick. it was really weird doing the the production history stuff and just being like is that is that fucking david bowie's name what the yes. fuck's going on <laughs> uh oh man all right yeah well uh, uh i think that uh western give uh western game dev should add a nagasa oshima mode to their video <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it's just um they make it brechtian all the, all the, all, all the uh, I was gonna say to... adds on adds unsimulated sex. Okay. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. Uh, Final Fantasy sixteen gay sex scene is real. <laughs> yes. <laughs> At last. Um. Okay. Well, unless we have anything else to add about episode thirty four beyond it just being. Uh, oh, th- good and funny. <laughs> no. Yeah, it was a good episode. Uh, it was a good episode. Uh, Jisoji doing his thing. Speaking of Jisoji doing his thing, <laughs> episode 35 of Ultraman is called The Monster Graveyard. Arashi and Ide patrol the Ultra Zone of space. Whoa, the Ultra Zone. That's the name of one of the shows I ripped. Yeah, um, and they find the bodies of many monsters they have fought before. But then they see one that's unfamiliar, and Ide refers to it as a ghost. Um, they leave the monster graveyard undisturbed and return home. I just, Explaining the monster... Go ahead. I just want to say, uh, uh, in this part, they like, Hey, how's the patrol? Uh, we found nothing interesting. Also, we found a monster graveyard. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> They get back after saying, no, nothing to report, and explain the monster graveyard to the rest of the squad. Uh, And Ide and Arashi hit on the idea of a memorial service for the poor monsters that they had to 100% definitely kill. Um, Hayata leaves the room and, alone, apologizes to the monsters that have died by his hands. Um, He transforms into Ultraman and offers the same apology, basically. Um... It's decided the squad will hold a Buddhist ceremony in the base for the dead monsters. Meanwhile, Japan's first lunar rocket launch launches. Launch? God damn. Uh, launches. Uh, only to stray into the monster graveyard. Pick up the ghost kaiju, get turned around, and come crashing back down to Earth in the space of like 30 seconds. Uh... The squad interrupts its ceremony to deploy against the kaiju, Sibozu. Um, they observe Sibozu attempting to climb the tallest building in Japan. I believe that's what he said. Um, and at the top, it looks to the sky and cries out. Uh, the squad wonders if it wants to return to space. Uh, after a sunset assault in the VTOLs, uh, which is great, there's like a, a bit with the uh Sibozu just like with his hands behind his back just like kicking stones <laughs> in the sunset it's really good it's, it's a really good shot um and then the squad attacks in the VTOLs and uh Muramatsu concedes all this monster wants is to return to the graveyard but is that even possible perhaps with the help of the space program Uh, The rocket scientists in charge of the crashed rocket have one spare and decide they must take responsibility for disturbing Sibozu. Um, A plan is set to tie Sibozu to the rocket and launch. Um, Overnight, Sibozu cries out to the stars, and Arashi says he sounds happy, maybe because the night sky is a little like being in space. 
But why is the monster graveyard so comforting to Sibozu? Fuji says, it is the only place a monster may find peace for everywhere else, Earth included, monsters are attacked. We get flashbacks of loads of the previously defeated kaiju, while Fuji talks about how people fear and loathe the other too much for monsters to live in peace anywhere but the deep dark of space. Um, sad times. Um, yeah. <laughs> the next day, uh, the squad carries out the plan, uh, using the VTOLs and cable guns uh, to do Battle of Hoth shit. Uh, and tie Sibozu to the rocket. Uh, but when it comes time to launch, Sibozu topples the rocket over and Hayata transforms into Ultraman uh, so that he can stop the kaiju before it causes too much chaos. Uh, after a quick fight, Ultraman stuns Sibozu and attempts to carry it to space. But for the first time, the color timer is relevant. <laughs> and Ultraman can't make it in time. So has to return to the Earth with Sibozu. Um, the squad decides to repair the rocket and paint it Ultraman colors because Sibozu knows Ultraman tried to take it to space. So, you know, maybe he'll hold on to the rocket. Um, they initiate the new plan and miraculously Ultraman appears and starts cajoling Sibozu toward the rocket uh, with just, like hitting him over the head. Yeah, does and a just, like a <laughs> He, does, he bright slaps him. Yeah, absolutely. Bright slaps him <laughs> onto the rocket. Uh, eventually getting it to hold on tight. Uh, the launch begins and the rocket successfully takes Sibozu back to the monster graveyard. And the SSSP return to peaceful days of peaceful patrols. Uh, the end. Uh, how are we feeling about this episode? Also by Jisoji. Also by Sasaki, presumably. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's good. If, if you told me at the start of this podcast we'd see an episode where there is a skeleton dragon and he mopes around and Ultraman has to bright slap him to a rocket, I would have said, what? <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> the moping is so good. It's a, it's a really sad kaiju. You have to see it to understand. It's and, the... like, it's... It's weird because it almost feels like a repeat of literally the last episode we just saw, but like a little more serious, and yes. it's uh, it still works. It would, it, surprisingly, it's, it's a like, more serious it's, it's episode, but they also actually have sympathy for the kaiju and don't blow it up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something that I don't that I kind of missed out the summary of the last episode was that the reason they started coming up with all these plans was because Muramatsu was like, we don't have to kill this one. Just like, out of nowhere, just like, uh, we're not killing this one. We can save this one. We can send it to space. Uh, and in the end, they couldn't because the SDF interfered. Uh, so but, what, uh, this is a lot about uh, militarization. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is the actual secret, uh, the secret conclusion of uh, that episode of Ultraman. So this episode of Ultraman uh, once again concludes uh, that the SSSP is evil. Um, but, uh, this one time they're going to do, they're going to try to do the right thing. Um, I, I and, uh, do like that Jisoji is just like, oh yeah, the SSP is evil. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I like, like how many weeks into the job was it that <laughs> Jisoji and Sasaki were just like, so everyone else just a fucking monster? <laughs> What's going on? Ida, Ida and Arashi living in the Universal Century like, oh man, uh, you know, these Titans are hiring. Maybe we should head over there. 
Hide feels bad about inventing poison gas for them to use. No, Ide works on the Psychogon domain. He's like, oh, it's for peace. Uh, I don't know about this, though. It's it's for peace, and then he sees what it does to, <laughs> to children, and he's like, oh, I feel... I don't know about this. Oh, well. <laughs> um... Yeah, uh, the continued uh, the continued escapades of uh, the most evil organization on the planet, um, SSSP. Uh, the um, I I mentioned it. The section, the bit of this episode on the the set at sunset is so fantastic. Oh yeah, I love the sunset shots. They're like it's really good. Uh, yeah, a special effects show. <laughs> it's it's a special effects show. God damn. There's like oh. the the monster framed against the sunset is really good, but then also too there's some pretty good shots of just like the team's faces on close up, just all yes. side by side. That it's really expressive and good too. Mm-hmm. With the the yeah the sun coming in through the windshield, it's 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 cool. It's really good. So I um, I discovered this uh, in the past half hour while I was like looking through some Ultraman stuff. Apparently, there's a compilation movie that's just the Akio Kusasoji episodes of Ultraman, and I'm like. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I think like Abs- absolutely. Like I think like uh like you know maybe spoilers for next week question mark but we were talking about like making a skip list or something for Ultraman. Yeah, uh, and mm-hmm. I feel I almost feel like if we made like a top 5 10 or 5 episodes of Ultraman to watch, uh it'd be like a lot of just OG episodes. Yes. It would that- it would yeah. That's my thing because like in my heart it would be that but then also too there's part of me that's like do I intentionally go f- to cuz like that's the thing with the show is that like I would say the Josoji episodes are my favorite but it's not indicative of the whole, you know what I mean? And yeah. in some ways I like them because they are the mm-hmm. exception. Yeah, um, yeah, I feel that. It's uh it's interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. I definitely wouldn't say only watch the Josoji episodes. Uh Yeah. You got, you know, Zara you need some Jisoji. Hajime Tsuburaya uncritical monster bashing yeah, do, in there to make the Jisoji stuff. You need, like, Jamila only hits as hard as it does uh, because of the time that Ultraman rode the dragon. <laughs> Honestly, though, yeah. Also, you can't watch Ultraman without watching him kill two billion people. In the second, ep- the second episode of Ultraman, our new hero, everyone. What's he gonna do? Genocide. <laughs> it's so rough. Uh, Ultraman, Ultraman denies that, that he committed genocide. Uh, his def- his uh, his defense: uh, I haven't committed genocide yet. They're still out there. <laughs> I know there are Baltans still out there. I'll get them. He has a he has a closet full of de- destructo discs, and he knows where they're going. <laughs> Yeah, you can you just you cut can, some into thirds. <laughs> you can try me for that crime when I'm finished. <laughs> Actually, he doesn't cut them into thirds. He cut he bisects them as they head dive towards him. If I yes. recall, uh, yes. So uh, he, he I, it's, what is it? Red King. He cuts into thirds. Yeah, that one time. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking of. When Red King was so good, he had to cheat. Yeah, yeah. He just turned on the he just turned on the console. Yeah, he did. Ultraman's always doing that. 
he does it all the time. Almost he's like he's some kind of like a higher being of some sort. Yeah, some kind of Superman. You know, he only teleported the one time so far. <laughs> he only teleported. <laughs> yeah. In a way that almost makes it worse. You know, if it's just like yeah, <laughs> if he was teleporting all the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh man, how is Ultraman gonna get out of this one? I'm just gonna teleport uh, well, once and never do it again. It makes him really tired. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah. The um, uh, there's there's some classic. You know, you can see the um, you can see the Hideaki Anno influence um, uh, in like the uh, guy. You know, I didn't spend much time in the summary talking about the uh, the rocket scientists doing their launch which is just some like classic shit it's just like uh people in a room uh yelling things at each other um while the 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 action's actually happening um it's, it's just good it's just good um that the woman with the glasses does a really weird delivery of a line in <laughs> at one point that's like the one thing in this episode i'm like what, what, what was that what the hell was that <laughs> Um, I don't think I noticed Wh- which part was this I, at. I can't, I can't remember when it was, but it was it was like it was something about oh she her saying like but doctor your research or something like that and the line delivery just like took me out. I thought it was like, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, good episode. One of the many, one of the good ones. I'm uh, increasingly, I I feel like. It's like a. It it might be like a fifty fifty split on like episodes of Ultraman that are good versus episodes of Ultraman that are mid slash bad. It might be, it might be up there. Um, do we have anything more to say about episode thirty five, the Monster Graveyard? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the greatest episode title in Ultraman so far. Um, episode 36, Don't Shoot Arashi. <laughs> will he shoot? Yes. Of course he will. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. No question. Um, so I have to ask you at the start of this about this translation in sentence one. The squad visits a brand new children's hall. What? Uh, what did they say it was? Children's Center. Children's yeah. Center. Okay, that's fine. Um, the, the squad visits a brand new children's center and head to the top floor, which is some Willy Wonka shit. Uh, there is a bright blue sky over this outdoor courtyard, and the guide is like, oh, it's a fake sky. It's all concrete. Um, anyway, a kaiju attacks. Something breaks a hole in the, the ceiling and flashes a 60 million candela light blinding the guide who didn't have a special fireman's helmet with high-tech visor <laughs> Lamau. Um, the squad begins regular patrols to find this new threat uh, that flashed the light, while Ide remains at base to complete his new one-shot super weapon. The ex- Is it called the... Ex- what's it called? The I ha- QX gun? The QX. Yeah, I forgot to um, get the name down myself. I have okay, so I have written here, so I think it's the quick extinguish or something like that. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, yeah, I'm it's it's something like that. Yeah. Um, 
he wants to finish off that weapon. Eventually, a kaiju called uh, Zaragas is found rampaging in Tokyo. Uh, the squad wrecks it and feels pretty good about themselves. And I'm like, we are five minutes into this episode. Uh, Zaragas emits thick red smoke and gets up. It has transformed itself to be more resistant to the SSSP's weapons. Uh, Muramatsu is ordered by the military to refrain from attacking again, as the only thing that can beat the kaiju is a one-shot kill, and anything less will only enrage Zaragas. And I'm like, okay, the space you'd be. Um, Arashi takes offense. Ide just finished his special one-shot super weapon, and we haven't used it yet. It could totally beat Zaragas. You don't know. I'm a really good shot. That's what I do. It's my job to shoot things. You it's can't tell me not to shoot. It's my personality. I'm oppressed. <laughs> uh, a call comes in. Uh, the children's center is in danger and there are kids inside. Muramatsu orders the squad to rescue the children, but under no circumstances are they to shoot Zaragas. During the rescue, Hayata and the kids get blinded by Zaragas's flash of light and to cover their escape, Arashi disobeys the orders he was destined to disobey and shoots Zaragas with Ide's super weapon. And Zaragas survives rip. Uh, Muramatsu strips Arashi of his communicator badge and says that for disobeying direct orders, he is no longer a member of the team. Uh, Arashi visits the hospital where the blinded kids and Hayata are standing, standing, staying. Um, and Hayata is apologetic over putting Arashi in this, in this situation. Uh, the kids ask Arashi tricky questions like, will I ever see again? And did you beat the monster? And Arashi can't handle it. Um, he decides, as he is no longer a member, he is no longer under orders, and steals a VTOL to take the fight to Zaragas. Uh, Hayata overhears the squad talking about this on his communicator, runs from his hospital bed to the roof, and transforms into... Yes, somehow. <laughs> With effort. Uh, transforms into Ultraman, just in time to catch Arashi's VTOL, um, before he, like, crashes into Zaragas, I guess? Um... Arashi flies the VTOL away and Ultraman gets stuck in. Unfortunately, he gets hit by the flash of light and struggles to see Zaragas, clearly. Uh, but Arashi swoops in to save the day, hitting Zaragas with everything the VTOL has, giving Ultraman a bright target to shoot with the Spatium Beam. Uh, Zaragas is defeated, and Muramatsu pins the communicator back onto Arashi's lapel and asks him to repeat Rule 4 of the SSSP code. And Arashi repeats the rule about obeying orders and abiding by the rules as he starts to break up into tears and it's uh, kind of genuinely uh, pretty affecting. Uh, we fade. The end. Yeah, at some point um, uh, it just shows him continuing to repeat it over and over uh, in the audio cuts while the music plays. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. it's uh, it's rough on Arashi. He's not having a good day. Um, but uh, he's back in the team. He's emotional about it. He's uh, uh... He's like the scorpion on the frog. He is the scorpion on the frog. If you if you don't want people to shoot the monster, you don't send a Rashi. This is Muramatsu's fault. <laughs> this is <laughs> yeah. He should have knew who he was dealing with here when he yeah. The fault lies with yeah. You don't. This is a very simple problem. Um, you didn't Rashi, like... born to shoot. <laughs> like, have y'all heard about that like study that's like if you put the average like little kid in a room with a marshmallow and you're like okay if you sit here with the marshmallow for five minutes you'll get a second marshmallow later and almost all the time the kid will just eat the marshmallow because they can't like they don't have that 
level of control for like greater reward yet. That's just Arashi. <laughs> Arashi is like, I shoot the monster. This okay. is what I do. Okay, so so at the start of our podcast, our, our coverage on Ultraman, I think we, or maybe I, it was just me, conflated like Ide and Arashi is like the new Bert and Ernie uh, to our Jun and Eve. Oh, I see. Um, yes. And I was like, oh yeah, of course, you know, Ide is the Ipe and Arashi is the Jun. Of course. Uh, is this reversed? <laughs> Do you think? Uh, I, actually, I think it is. This is reversed. This is Ide. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed just from like very brief, uh, very brief sections of the show. Um, uh, occasionally the show gestures to like Ide is Fuji's boyfriend. <laughs> like yeah. that's that's like that you know. There's Ipe, that one Ipe episode Ipe. where he's, where like he's staying up late to work on something, and like Fuji comes in to like give him coffee, and like the way they give each other a look is just like yeah, that's the jam episode. Fucking... <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the that's the heartwarming hard work that he's putting into the super weapons that he built to hunt down Jamila, and then it the rug gets pulled from under him. Yeah, I'm just thinking like he's my, like. My... He's anguished about all the monsters he's killing while also making... Anyway, I made my best weapon. It kills them in one shot. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I honestly... I, something that I was happy about this episode, and maybe it's a little too rote with what we've already gotten from him, but I feel like Ide and Arashi are like the two who are allowed to be character, like full-fledged characters yeah. in this show. And like Ide's gotten a lot more on that front, and I was kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm happy Arashi finally got a little bit of his own exploration like yeah. character piece episode too. Yeah. It's good. And I like it, I'd it, like it if the other three characters also got character episodes. <laughs> Same. It did it did actually play on some characterization that Arashi got previously, uh, which was uh back in the Oh, the first plant episode, the plant was on a quest for revenge against the people that stole it from its homeland. Um the Arashi felt responsible for um the fact that the plant was big now because he shot it and it turned big from the energy um oh, yeah, and yeah. arashi uh was going all out in response to that and that comes back comes back up again where you know the kids are talking to him it's like oh you beat did you beat the monster big hero arashi and he's like no actually uh, the monster's like way more dangerous now that i shot it um i oh that doesn't feel good Oh, hang on, I gotta go fucking deal with some shit. <laughs> I I had a weird moment with the end of, like, that fight, too, where... So he... He shoots, and then Ultraman takes him out, and then, like, they talk about, like... I think Ide has, like, a, a last line where he's like, actually, it's probably a good thing, Cap, that Arashi was able to help out and, like, actually shoot, and mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, and then that made me go, is, is that like a lesson not being learned in a way that is bad? But then I thought about it, and I'm like, but then if he doesn't shoot, the lesson is, oh, Ultraman will save everyone's problems for everyone, and Muramatsu you actually does, don't, it's weird. Muramatsu does, does actually cut through this a little bit at the end, um, because of the fact that his, uh he he makes arashi repeat the thing anyway because it's like it's like i don't like muramatsu at that time was like i don't really 
care right now that you solved all the problems. You disobey, you know, disobeying orders not good. <laughs> yeah. Um, regardless of whether you did the of whether you did the right thing, um, which is the uh, you know uh, like a like a, a problem like yeah. a, that's, a, that's a i mean real, he also like says this, real, like real conflict yeah i mean he also says this when he like suspends arashi because he's like uh i am handicapping myself by like getting rid of another one of my good guys when hyatt is handicapped but also i can't just it's like, important yeah, i can't just like mm-hmm. ignore the fact that he can order this yes um and uh i think yeah i i think uh it's you know it's not like a master class or anything but it's it's like well done um mm-hmm it's competently written, uh, which you know the show isn't always. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, um, this uh, kaiju, I love the thick red smoke. Yeah, that's um, cool. I think the the effect of that is really cool. Um, it's pretty good. The uh, I think. It being referred to in the opening, uh, like, because, you know, every episode uh, you get, like, the episode title and then the opening plays and then it gives you the secondary episode title, um, which is always about what monster featuring uh, featuring this episode is. With a title on. Yeah, featuring this kaiju. Um, and this one is, like, featuring the transforming the kaiju uh, Zaragas. And um, it's not very transforming. Yeah, uh, it's more like he just <laughs> more like he drops the weights the way it looks. AJ Rock leaves it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have mixed feelings about the actual transformation. Because on one hand, him like casting off the armor and being like, oh, now I just got a billion guns coming out of me is pretty sick. Uh, mm-hmm. On the other hand, there's the degree to which it's like, oh, uh, trypophobia. <laughs> oh. Oh. Uh, yeah. Understandable, honestly. Uh, it, yeah, just just looks a little weird. Ah, it looks a little weird to me. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. Kind of in the same vein of like that that streak of episodes where it's like, oh no, weird mystery involving like cars or buses crashing, and then it doesn't actually end up mattering. There's relatively little amount of the episode is about this big ass child facility what that has an f- artificial sky. What the <laughs> fuck did they introduce Willy Wonka's chocolate factory out of fucking nowhere? Uh, they had to go and back just... and rescue the kids. Uh, yep, just that one time. That's, that's like the 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 sh- the shot of this episode that I think will stay with me the most is the the image of the sky cracking apart and there's a weird glow on the other yeah, side yes. and that realistically isn't much to actually do about what the episode's about. Yeah, it's a cool shot. Uh, in a really bizarre circumstance, it's actually not that relevant. Hmm. Um, the most relevant uh, that the light gets is uh, the Ultraman fight. Uh, I, You know, it was uh, a pretty, um, you know, so just some sleight of hand to make Arashi useful, to, but Ultraman still delivering the kill, uh, the killing blow. Yeah, um, but, you know, uh, it's, if it does, it functions. It does I its job. Was unsure if like Hayato, like Ultraman, would be like blinded the, uh, going into the fight uh, the way Hayato was, and he wasn't. But I am pleased that they did at least like go. Oh, Ultraman got blinded, and like they do the effect where the 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 eye lights are off to show that like he can't mm-hmm. see as well. I think it's cool. I guess I know we talked about it at the end of the last episode, but uh, 
I feel like the eye bulbs have been. I mean, I know it's the the fact that we have the new suit now too, but the uh, the little pupils are are a lot less prominent. I feel <laughs> for like the the suit actors' eye holes. Uh, I I just noticed that in a lot of the shots of this episode. It's like oh, they're. I don't know if it's just how they're shooting it or or part of the new suit's design or a combination of the two, but it's like the, these look more like the eye bulbs are are the more prominent part of the eyes than the little black dots too. So. Someone someone on the crew was like, you know, it looks like his pupils, right? I was like, oh, <laughs> fuck, we're so many episodes in. <laughs> I have to wonder if that explains like the design decision for the Ultra 7 suit. I wouldn't be surprised. Because you said it's just, it's yeah, he just has eyes, right? Yeah, like I, he, from what I remember seeing of Ultra like, 7. Like, yeah, like if you look at it, he's got like the, the crystal eyes as like the eyes, but you have like the eye holes that are directly in, but like they're like, instead of like being under the eyes, uh, they're like in the eyes, so it's like he has people's. This, Actually, guy, now looks, that... this guy looks fucking goofy. <laughs> uh, get used to I, him. Uh, um, I, I remember I think, now. Yeah, go ahead. Something I had written, I th- I, I want to say it's this episode, at least it'd be weird if it was one of the other episodes, but something that I made the note of in the back of my mind is at some point the phrase ultra eyes gets used, um, which is the name of, I want to say, an accessory in one of the Megami, I think it's Kyuyaku Megami Tensei 2, you can equip ultra eyes, and I was like, is that a reference to this? It was, I was like, huh, interesting. Uh... <laughs> I guess we'll see one day. Um, I assume the reason that Ultra Seven looks goofy to me is the same reason. Um, that like, well, I assume it looks goofy to me because it's not as, uh, instantly, like widespread iconic as Ultraman is. Like, yeah. I know, I know what Ultraman looks like. Yeah, I mean, Ultra, like Ultra Seven is definitely a like classic iconic hero as much as like not as much as man but he's like so like mm-hmm. he is the number two guy but you know he's definitely- you know what this is everyone recognizes the arc 78 too but like you show the average person the zeta they're like oh that's a oh, that's a weird yeah, you know true, true. the ultra ultra seven is the is the zeta damn yeah two weeks away i guess i guess ultra seven turns into a wave rider uh, that seems complicated for a person. <laughs> uh, organic being, he's a, he's the Superman. He can do anything. <laughs> he can teleport. True. Uh, I wonder if there's power scaling in Ultraman. I wonder if Ultra Seven is more powerful than Ultraman. He's that, he's called. I mean, Ultra seven times seven more. Seven I assume. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Uh, there's seven guys, and he's seven times more powerful. Uh... Yeah. Or, or maybe it's seven guys, and each of them is a seventh as powerful. <laughs> oh, that would oh that would be so much better. <laughs> uh, it's the fucking the Dragon Ball clones. <laughs> uh, um. But yeah. Uh, episode thirty-six. Uh, Ultraman. Uh, pretty good. Um, uh, Arashi, Arashi getting some focus. Um, we had Arashi has had an episode. Fuji has had an episode. Um, Ide has had multiple episodes. Um, Muramatsu hasn't really had an episode. Uh, and neither has Hyatt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe in the finale, guys. 
I honestly too like I have just accepted that Hayata is a plot device and not a man at this point, and like mm-hmm. that's fine. I do think it's a little weird we don't have the Miramatsu. Like, I mean, was the one with the bus and the mist, but like that wasn't really a character piece. It just kind of focused on him. Um, yeah. If anything, so, I feel like the most characterization we got from him is uh, in this ep- episode. That's true, yeah, actually, uh, and his misogyny. And his and his rampant misogyny, yes, yeah, um, and, and the and the knee slapper when Hayata tricks the gang so that he gets to go. <laughs> he found that so funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, decent, good episodes this week. Yeah, uh, Ultra Ultraman continuing uh, to give us riches. Hope, hope um, the last batch will also be good. Yeah, I'm excited. We got uh, one more batch of episodes. That's cool. Oh, I also should state that the uh, director and writer for this was a uh, director was Kazuho uh, Mitsuda, and the writer was uh, Masahiro Yamada, who we both uh, discussed before. Uh, can you just remind me again which other episode they did? Uh, yes. Yeah, so Mitsuda did. Um, here, let me take a look. It's been a while since we last. It's been a while. It's been a while. Uh. Oh, geez, where is he on this booklet? It really has been a while. This is um, why you should do the spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, I know, I keep... Oh, yes, how could I forget? He did the Giras episode, <laughs> the mysterious dinosaur base, um, and the rascal oh, from yes. outer space. Oh, good episodes. Those are good episodes. Um, and uh, Yamada was... I believe he was the guy who... Yeah, he did, like, the Naronga episode. Um... The Coast Guard Command, which is the uh, one with the Gesra that looks like a Dragon but isn't a Dragon. The one who is Peter? Mm. Yes, yes, that's it, that's it. Um, I remembered it was like a reused thing. Oh, and also, how could we forget Lightning Operation with uh, the nuclear power plant? I definitely forgot Lightning Operation. Uh, yeah, that's the one with the monster whose head looks kind of like it's erupting out of a flower, and Ultraman, like, fucking rips off the petals oh. as he fights it. I think I'd remember that oh, episode, because yes. it was in Shin Ultraman, but, you know. <laughs> yes. That guy is in Shin Ultraman. Um. Okay. Oh, yeah, and how could we forget Demons Rise Again with, uh, Red, the actual Red versus Blue? <laughs> oh, hell, Oh, yeah, that one's that one sucked. I think that might be... The most nothing episode. Like, remember how we talked about the first Garabot episode at Ultra Q and we're like, I mean, that was, that was an episode I guess. That's how I feel about that Olympic like that Olympic Arena episode of Ultraman. I, I, I sometimes feel bad about that first Garamon episode because I feel like I dictated our reaction to that by writing the I don't think so. Summary. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, it, there wasn't much to I it. don't think there was anything to talk about. It was just like... like the coolest, the most you can say about the episode is that uh, it was cool when the meteor landed in the lake and it boiled. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was a cool effect. That was cool, is the thing. You, you had a funny monster man breaking a dam, and like yeah. that's about it. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am sometimes conscious of the uh, the power that the summary writer wields in shaping what the episode actually is that we talk about, uh, because it's different from what from the episode that you watch. Um, uh, that does not mean. Uh, that I am uncomfortable with this level of power. In fact, I'm a tyrant. Um, perfectly happy 
uh, yes. to simply rule over this podcast. Sometimes. Red, you now understand the feeling I have when I'm editing together Let's Play footage of dungeon crawlers, and I'm like, <laughs> how boring do I want to make this look? <laughs> uh, pretty boring. I just, I, I just, I just do the spreadsheet. What was the sorry? What? I just do the spreadsheet. <laughs> Uh, you do more. We were literally talking the earlier. <laughs> you, you've, been, you've been doing like VHS rips. Uh, hero. Um, Thank you. All right. Well, if that's all we've got about Ultraman, uh, I can go straight into plugs. No, you can't. Um, no, I can't. Oh, fucking timers. Color timers. I failed. I fucked it up. This I, I think I'm I failed stepping, last. I'm, I think I failed last week. So I'm, it's only I'm fair stepping, that you failed I'm, this week. I'm stepping down as tyrant. Yeah. Uh, also, also we have done. an email as well. Uh, which what? Oh shit! Somehow we do. Uh, so nice. Uh, first timers, because uh, Dan, well, we got some timers this week. <laughs> yeah. Um. Episode thirty-four. Uh, two minutes and twenty seconds. Uh, also, episode thirty-four, uh, twenty-one seconds. Uh, this mm-hmm. is a uh, to date the episode with the uh, both the shortest timer and also the most amount of timers. Uh, immediately, <laughs> immediately surpassed by the very next episode, episode thirty-five, <laughs> with uh, nice. seventeen seconds, uh, and then also a minute and forty-five seconds, uh, and then also uh, two minutes thirteen seconds. Uh, Fantastic. And episode thirty-six is just normal. Uh, it's three minutes thirty-eight seconds. Ah, they went over. They were so close. <laughs> they went over the rule that that one guy said exists. That one. That one guy made up. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so someone's sending letters into Tsuburaya. I read in a magazine. <laughs> <laughs> According to this dissection of Ultraman, it clearly says the timer has a three-minute clock inside. Yeah. This is what Ultra Series fans sound like in the in the <laughs> the sixties. <60s>. Yep, <laughs> I've decided. Um, this email, yeah. Uh, this is an email from Sidrixar. Uh, they said they found the episode less than a week ago and sped ran through the entire thing. Uh, damn, oh, sick. <laughs> damn. Uh, glad you're enjoying it, which they say they do. Uh. They appreciate people looking to watch Ultra Series. Uh, uh, even though it's a requirement to do so, it's a much more rewarding way of going about it because there's a lot of callbacks and cameos, and like literally anything from the past can come down decades later. So, you know, hey, we have uh, stuff to look forward to <laughs> in the future. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, he appreciates our behind the scenes talks. Uh, uh, and then also our running jokes about projections and stuff like that. Uh, they like our op- opinions on like what makes a strong or weak episode, uh, and sort of like how this compares to like a consensus. Uh, they look forward to our. Oh, feature. that's oh, ooh, I wonder what the consensus yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, uh, be- yeah. I'm. I have a feeling we're probably. If I had to guess, I would guess that the modern Ultraman fandom is very pro-skipping Ultra Q. Uh, I don't know that, but I wouldn't be surprised. Because they're just like, oh, it's different. You, you know, it's optional sort of thing. Yeah, I don't know about that. Because, uh, like, on one hand, I feel like that is, like, the default thing you'd expect from a modern fan base. But also, I don't know if the Ultraman fan base is like that. Just because, you know... Most of the time I've seen of Ultraman fans, they're just kind of jolly people. So, uh... 
Uh, yeah, I have like almost no experience with the Ultraman fan base. Yeah, yeah. I should also clarify. I wonder if I wonder if there's some absolute like fandom classic episodes that we've just come on just been like this episode's shit. Yeah, <laughs> like the fucking SOS Mount Fuji episode is just like heralded as oh, like oh, this is one of the I think I think, it, yeah. I think it's so uh, funny that uh, like masterpiece. I think it's funny that the only re- reason we remember SOS Mount Fuji is because of how forgettable this. Is. <laughs> Nothing. There's the funny bit where the police officer's like, don't worry, I can MacGyver us out of this cave. And then he looks at his pockets and he's like, eh, maybe not. <laughs> that, that a pretty good part. Honestly, one of the best jokes we've seen so far. Uh, I do hope Fear of the South Seas is not a popular episode. Uh, they oh, al- fuck. Yeah. Uh, they also say they have a spreadsheet that they passed us and if I'm not mistaken, let me just double check. Yeah, I have this one already, so... Oh, that's right. This person commented on my uh, YouTube video talking about oh, okay, uh, wait. Ultra Q. Uh, it is... Yeah, so it is... Okay, so this isn't just a spreadsheet. It's the guy who made the spreadsheet. I was given to it by like another guy uh, who listens to the podcast. Uh, so now I have the guy who made the podcast. Uh, and now I can tell you in your ears, uh, you can go update the spreadsheet with the new files I ripped. <laughs> because <laughs> uh, there's definitely a couple stuff that's like some of the stuff i actually didn't know existed until i saw it on the spreadsheet i was like oh, okay uh and now uh the raws exist and you can have them uh sick we are now we are now collaborating yes. with the broader ultra uh once we get fandom. we just need to get the fan subs out and then we're good we is a strong word. I- uh, <laughs> Mel. <laughs> so, we, as in me and the audience, I just need your credit card number and the three numbers in the back. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to feel like you're collaborating with Mel, all we need is... The- uh, Don't forget the three, num- the three little numbers on the back. The back. The- Okay. Okay. This this is a this is an actual question they have that I think is really fun and interesting. Uh, Let's go. If you were going to, if you were working on a modern Ultraman show, and you're going to make a tribute episode based on an Ultra Q episode, what would you have it be? Ooh, that's a good one. Like, and he, and he also like says, uh, what? Like, he also says like specifically, what kaiju would you have return? But I mean, that's kind of like you know the basic. Uh, and then you also mm. what 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 kind of like what kind of plot you think would you do the episode? Okay. Ooh, okay. that's a good one. Okay. Now we we don't have to rush this because I can literally edit. But let let me have a look at let me have a look at this. So episode one. So we've got defeat Gomez, Goron Goro, the gift from space, mammoth fly. I would do the sequel to the gift from space where the second gift comes. Ah, uh, the, that's a slam dunk for you. In, the one that's immune to salt water. <laughs> I would absolutely do that. Uh, other episodes. Mammoth Flower. Pegula is here. Gr- oh no, I could do the finale of the June Peg. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> grow Up Little Turtle. SOS. Is June's Fuji. actor still alive? Hold Tara. on. I need to know. Uh, June. Ultra Q. Well, like, no, what I'm saying is, like, you get the old grizzled <gasps> veteran oh my June God. <laughs> For, like, the old man Logan-esque finale. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, okay, that's right. He was played by Kenji Sahara. He's still alive. Oh, nice. 
let's fucking go. <laughs> uh, he was born in nine. He is age ninety one, so maybe too late. But <laughs> I'm trying to think. Oh man, uh, the train would be funny to bring back, but I don't know how. There would be another. There'd have to be another kaiju in the episode, but uh, see. The thing for me that I find interesting about the idea of doing a modern Ultraman show but then doing an Ultra Q throwback is it almost makes me want to look at the episodes that you couldn't necessarily, like, because my first thought was, oh, I would like to do something with Pegula because, you know, it's fucking Pegula. But then also it's like, but then how different would that really be from the average Ultraman thing, which is also dealing with, like, a big monster? Like, I mean, Chandler's in Ultraman. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um and it almost makes me want to do something more like Baron Spider, where it would be like whatever the team is running around like a spooky mansion with big like Resident Evil spiders, okay. and then maybe and then maybe whatever that Ultraman is has to fight like a big ass alien spider at the Actually, end. Yeah, or that's, a, that's a that's a good choice. Uh, because good uh, choice. it's like, oh damn, it's an Ultra Q throwback. Why don't we use that as an excuse to maybe do some of the horror stuff that we can't do so much as easily in the regular Ultraman's format. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I got it. Um, I got it. Uh, what do you got? It's a throwback to the train. Uh, the 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 open up. Uh, the character gets stuck on a abandoned train, uh, mm-hmm. and it's like an early introspective episode where they like reminisce about like their life and stuff like that. Uh, at the end of the episode, uh, the train gets attacked by Total. The episode by Total. Did you say Total? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. No notes. <laughs> Total is just there. <laughs> Again. An episode where Ide goes on... Okay, I have two th- conflicting thoughts. One, an episode where Ide goes on the train... Or, like, the Ide equivalent goes on the train and fights, like, a Jamila-style monster, only to realize that it was the alternate timeline version of himself. Oh, that's oh, really good. Fantastic. That's really good. Uh, or also a, a version of the Jamila episode, but instead of Jamila, it's the walrus, and the walrus is the lost cosmonaut. Nice. That's why he's up there. <laughs> That's why. Oh my god, he's, he's, he was the pilot of the plane, of the, of the, one of the planes that was up there. Yes. Oh man, excellent. I think we've got some uh, decent, uh, decent answers here. I think, uh, yeah, because the uh, the uh, the new present, the new gift from space, is immune to salt water. Um, they have to. Uh, no, nah, this is someone else's job. Someone else they, has to write it. Yeah. I, they, they, they got a big man to solve the problem. They got uh, a big man. Big, big. Who's that big man? Sorry. <laughs> Call back. Uh, they also mentioned that Edie's actor was originally not going to have the role, but instead it was going to be played by Susumu Ishikawa, who played the train conductor in the M1 episode. Uh, oh! Okay. The train conductor? Okay. Yeah. Uh... He mentions that, you know, I think we talked about it before in, like, uh, production history of Ultraman, but, like, Haro Nakajima, who was a suit actor for Godzilla, did a lot of the kaiju uh, acting. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of suits get reused by early episodes. Uh, they they are interested in seeing how often we'll pick up on an episode being directed by Josoji. 
Uh, <laughs> it's every time now. It's it's so apparent. Like I I also did not know going into this one, and as soon as like the the shenanigans started, I was like, oh, this is a Jisoji one. I can't. It's so funny that you had the note about. Uh, apparently, Jisoji has a really distinctive visual style uh, <laughs> yes. for that one episode where he fucking doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, he finds it immediately. Absolutely. Uh, they make some other notes. The, there is an Ultraman dub uh, that aired at the time, I think. Or in oh the late God. 60s. Uh, and James Gunn and Will Smith apparently liked the show growing up. Uh, they Holy note. Shit. They note. I think I met. I think I talked about this uh, when we did our send off to. No, when we did Doctor Bar Methyl's episode. Uh, uh, but one of the changes the dub made was that Hoshino was Fuji's brother, which you know, it works. It's like, it's fine as a change. It doesn't change much. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they also say that the dub changed the ending to the show, which uh, they are not spoiling oh, right ooh. now. Uh, oh, yeah. so can I get into I, that? We can look at that. I'm gonna ed- I'm gonna edit Chris, uh, Will Smith slapping Chris Rock so that he says "shwatch," <laughs> whatever it is. That uh, Ultraman just says. Uh, put like the get the Will Smith uh, Chris Rock, except uh, Will Smith is Ultraman and <laughs> Chris Rock is the skeleton dragon. Mephilus. Oh, the skeleton dragon. Yes. God damn. Um, Ultraman dub. Uh. Meanwhile, Ultra, you had a full dub, uh, but never got picked up. Uh, yes. And then the, episode the happy... three is the only one you can find online. Mm-hmm. Uh, but apparently yeah. the the full dub is, the full audio is in the Super Rare archive. Oh. Yeah. Ooh. Um, um, I, Oceans, uh, whatever it is we're up to now. Uh, we do need the high season of Ultra something. Uh, we need to, yeah. A new, uh, my new, my contribution, uh, Ultraman episode is doing a heist on getting the that Ultra Q dub. <laughs> Bring back robber coded Ultra characters. Yeah, exactly. We haven't brought out that term in a minute. <laughs> yeah, um, you give them what is it like sunglasses, uh, and a and like a. Is it like a, much like Fuji, something? Uh, much like Fuji in the, in the second episode this week, we are reminiscing about footage that is not colored. Yes. You know, if you think about it, that episode where Ipe, they gave Ipe a bazooka really, I feel like, was foreshadowing we could have never seen coming for Ultraman and what it would look like. <laughs> yes. Every week, new huge weapons. <laughs> Uh, who let him touch the bazooka? Ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know if anyone let him. Maybe he just said, fuck it. <laughs> Someone's uh, got to do it. Someone's got to do it. Uh, is there more to this to, the, to this email? No, they just said, uh, you know, they're enjoying it. And uh, hey, glad you're enjoying it. Hope we can continue to yeah. be enjoyable. That's, yeah, that's I, thank you. Thank you very much for the very thorough email. Thank um, you, and also, I do want to apologize because this person did leave a YouTube comment on my Ultra Q video, uh, like, 11 days ago, and I meant to reply uh, to you, and uh, thank you for leaving that, uh, and I totally forgot, so I'm happy you did email, and uh, uh, you I'm assuming you're listening to now, thank you. <laughs> uh, you could have pretended not to notice. <laughs> no, I I, did, I definitely <laughs> did, and I thought I replied, and I just, I did not. I'm very sorry. <laughs> uh 
yeah. Um, and thank you for the question as well. Uh, and if you have an email answers. for our final episode of Ultraman, you can email us at ultracupod at gmail.com. I would yeah. I would legitimately love to hear people's thoughts on the series and like even I feel like I, I don't have fully formed thoughts on it, but I'm I'm very curious to talk with y'all about how we feel about Ultraman as a show yeah. right at the end. Because um, it's been it's, a it's, it's an interesting one. It's been a really up and down ride, a real mixed bag. So like I you know, I imagine uh like people's opinions on just watching the show itself varied. I imagine the reactions are varied. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Uh, well, we might tweet out the email address and put it in, like, a plugs or whatever. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at ultra underscore Q. That is at ultra underscore Q U E U E. Uh, no one listening to this podcast will ever forget how to spell that word ever again. Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, as someone who writes for a living, it it's come up for me a few times where I'm like, I know how to spell this without having to look now. <laughs> this yeah. is the service I provided. Uh, yeah. Um and uh, uh if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at gender underscore redacted. Um and uh I'm at November on co host. Uh Ross. Uh I, I I was expecting the other one. Um, so I gotta keep my toes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I uh, it's me, Rosenbrand. I have a YouTube channel, Rosenbrand. Uh, you can see uh, me and my friend Fang brought back uh, our good old Common Rider podcast, the Rider Kickcast, with the episode yeah. on uh, Shin Common Rider. Uh, and then I have like four or so episodes, four or five episodes in the backlog that we've recorded and I've just been terrible about editing. Uh, so those are going to go up finally. And then what we plan on doing is that, uh, from here on out, every Wednesday should be a new episode, hopefully until we're done with the show. Um, which will still, I think, take us until December because the original Kamen Rider is fucking long. I guess I need to watch the original Kamen Rider now. Uh, yeah. I, uh, it's, it's a, it's a fun time. It, it kind of honestly, in a way similar to Ultraman where it's like not every episode's a banger, but uh, when it hits, it hits. So I also I'll need to Mel, come meet my husband, Hongo, Takeshi Hongo. I've seen him. I've yes. seen the Rider stuff. Yeah. Uh, nice. I need to finish Hibiki. Fuck. <laughs> oh yeah, you're going through that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I might do, so some stuff came up and also it is a, uh, deadline week for me at work cause it's the end of the month. So I don't know how much streaming I'm going to do, but I might try to find the time to get back to 16 cause, uh, I'm, I'm just curious what the fuck that is going to be like as I get further into I it. Guess. And, uh, I want to be able to talk about its themes more concretely, Maybe we'll see, uh, in the weeks to come. See how it compares to the themes of slavery presented in Tales of Arise. The game <laughs> I have not played. I didn't even know that that's what that game was about. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, I don't know either. Well, I don't plan on ever playing that game. <laughs> the The only thing I know about that game is that the main character can't feel pain, and then the main heroine hurts, shocks everyone she touches. And I'm like, oh, that's Damn. romantic. <laughs> Damn, that's that's peak like that's peak fiction writing. Right Destined. There. Uh, Mel, where can people find you? Uh, you can follow my Twitter at Tear Crowns. Uh, hey, new PC, maybe I'll stream more on Cosmic underscore Crown on Twitch. 
uh we'll see yeah uh, i'd like to i have the option to play a lot more stuff now uh before i was basically limited to <laughs> emulating ps1 games but now yeah. i can play steam games <laughs> <laughs> uh, i can't i can't tell yes. you how bad it was that like i did like i still have to finish final fantasy 6 but i was streaming the pixel P re- pixel remaster and like uh for whatever reason it being on my laptop meant that the stream for the game was really choppy even though the game wasn't uh but now i can actually stream without worrying i guess something about steam is making it slow but now on um, my new pc it's all good sick uh well uh, join us next week for the last episodes of Ultraman. Yeah. Um, we're finishing Ultraman. Uh, yeah, we after, got like... going into Ultra 7. Yeah. And, uh... We got like two guys left that we need to see. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, looking forward to it. Um, uh, it, is, it is funny how watching Shin Ultraman first made it sort of like, oh, there's a checklist to this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we gotta, we gotta get, we gotta, we gotta get to some guys. Um, all right. Well, we'll see you next week. Uh, bye bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.